Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. At some point in time, man, something has got to give. NCAA wants to mess around. If you mess around long enough, there's a point on the graph where eventually you do find out. And I think the NCAA is about to find out. Welcome into the hard count. It is January 31st, 2024, the last one on the face of the planet. Gonna make it a great one. In Tennessee, man, there was a some smoke that happened yesterday with the NCAA essentially looking into Tennessee about NIL violations and Don D. Plowman dude just went full eight mile just said you know what NCAA I know something about you and then released a statement uh, and absolutely just put fire flames to them so we'll give you our thoughts on that uh spoiler we're big fans of what Don D. Plowman had to say and she had every single right to say what she said and I want to take it a step further uh this is not Tennessee versus the NCAA this is college football versus the NCAA. So there's a lot of different fan bases right now that I think are throwing shade at Tennessee and saying, oh, well, hey, you broke the rules. You get what you get. I don't think that's the right way to look at it. So again, we'll give you our thoughts on that. And then to make sense of this lawsuit we have on our hands now, as of this morning, per ESPN's Pete Thamel, you got the attorney generals of Tennessee and Virginia saying, NCAA, come here. Let's, let's, uh, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, and uh, we'll hit you with this lawsuit when it comes to an antitrust violation with how y'all go about NIL. To make sense of all that, we're going to bring in someone here that's much smarter than us, which is on threes Pete Nakos, to break down the ins and outs of that. And then on top of all that, we got your unpopular takes. We got takes on Nebraska's return to relevance. We got takes on the state of college football. We got takes on Ohio State and their quest for a national championship. And if they do or don't get it done this upcoming season, we're glad to have you all a part of this. Make sure you're subscribed. They may not be playing games, but if you can feel the tectonic plates within the college football world continuing to shift, 
I think we are on the doorstep of uh, some monumental events happening within our sport. So, again, encourage you to be subscribed. Encourage you to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at JD Pacal. Man, it's a great day to be alive. We're talking college football, man. Talking college football for a living right here on this show. What a blast it is. Glad to have you all a part of it. Glad to, uh, glad to have you all along for this ride as we jump into what's going on with the NCAA in Tennessee. So, to sort of reset the stage here, the NCAA was looking into uh, Tennessee for certain NIL violations. Now, the assumption for, I think, everybody and their mama, as vague as this statement was about the NCAA coming after Tennessee, was that it was probably linked to Nico Iamaliava and his recruitment to Tennessee. There was uh, a pretty good amount of rumors that Nico Iamaliava was rumored to be like the, the $8 million recruit. Whether that's true or not, we're not here to talk about that here, but that's the rumor, that's the assumption, that's kind of what we're operating under here. So, Tennessee gets hit with this uh, allegation, investigation, whatever you want to call it. And she releases a statement that, like I said at the top of this show, just full eight-mile kind of fashion comes after the NCAA. And she had every right to do that, and we're glad that she did. But to kind of break down what she said, it was like a three-page document, two-and-a-half-page document. We'll kind of summarize it for you here. Basically, she was like, listen, your rules are unclear. What you're saying isn't true. And you created this mess for the NCAA. You gave us unclear rules about what NIL, you know, is and what you can and can't do in this space. And also they're unrealistic. And now you're trying to play gotcha with us because your rules don't make sense, are unclear, and you're trying to put the genie back in the bottle. No, no, no. It's not how this works. We're not, we're not standing for all of that. And so to, to go back to what she, uh, I think, has a really good point in saying here, I want to pull up this, uh, this part of her statement. She says... It is intellectually dishonest for the NCAA staff to issue guidelines that say a third-party collective slash business may meet with a prospective student-athlete to discuss NIL, even enter into a contract with prospective student-athletes, but at the same time, the collective may not engage in a conversation that would be of a recruiting nature. Pause right there. What she's saying here is you can't tell us we're allowed to have conversations about NIL from a collective level but then assume that's not going to have some sort of impact on these recruits' decision. Okay, the statement continues. She says, any discussion about NIL might factor into a prospective student-athlete's decision to attend an institution. This creates an inherently unworkable situation, and everybody knows it. Bars. Just straight fire from Don DePlowman, again, the chancellor at Tennessee. So essentially what we're saying is, you can't say, here's the job, Let's talk about it. Let's have a good conversation. But also, we're not going to discuss salary. And when we do discuss salary, that can't factor into your decision to maybe or maybe not take this job. Like, do we, do we see how that's, it's not just like the rule is unclear and just doesn't make sense. It's like from a human nature standpoint, factoring in what NIL could or couldn't mean to your future is obviously going to be a part of where you go to school. And so I'm not saying that Tennessee, you know, didn't did or didn't break rules with the whole Nico recruitment. I happen to believe they did that all well above board when it comes to what is or wasn't allowed at that point in time. But like the rule itself just like defies human logic, defines human nature. If we're talking NIL during our, you know, uh, trip to a school or during our evaluation of a school, yes, that's going to factor into what we might do when it comes to our decision to make a, you know, college future decision like that that's human nature you can't separate those your brain doesn't work that way so now there's there's some people on the internet today 
that I think are looking at this the wrong way. And it's a lot of different fan bases within the SEC who we transparently love, but you're seeing another school get in trouble within your conference that you compete with consistently, and you're saying, good, they broke the rules, or you're thinking there might be some smoke to them breaking the rules, get after them. Get after them. Give them all they can handle and then some. That's, that's not the way this works. When there is a corrupt cop, how many of you know, like, it's only a matter of time before that corrupt cop pulls you over for speeding when you're going five below the speed limit or comes and knocks on your door and says you did something wrong when you didn't actually do something wrong. Like, this is Tennessee that's on the hot seat here, but this is a thing that is bigger than just Tennessee. This is not Tennessee versus the NCAA. This is college football versus the NCAA. So when you're saying, well, hey, you know, get, get after Tennessee. No, 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 no. It's not Tennessee. It's all, it's, it's all of college football that is now, I think, uh, going to be impacted by what happens here going forward. And I would also say this. As we look at this whole situation with Tennessee and the NCAA, we are what we repeatedly do, right? Like we, we are in a lot of ways our history and our track records. Look at the track record of the NCAA. Do we really think this is the most common sense organization? Do we really think they're the ones that are in the right here when it comes to Tennessee and how they do NIL versus how the NCAA is trying to play gotcha with them right now? Let's take a look at what the NCAA has done just in recent history. The Daryl Jackson thing. Transfers to Florida State. Transfers to be closer to home to his mother who is sick. NCAA says, nope, can't play. Sorry. That makes no sense. The Tez Walker thing. We all understood how that transfer portal technicality did make no sense for the period of time where he wasn't allowed to play. Like That was nonsense. That lacked all common sense. But we're supposed to believe the NCAA is in the right here? That somehow, some way, they are actually hitting it on the head here? No, of course not. The Reggie Bush having no Heisman thing, that makes no sense. Mason Smith, we'll, we'll rewind the tape even further from the Tez Walker and Daryl Jackson thing. At the beginning of the year, Mason, Mason Smith from LSU is suspended for NIL violations, okay? Now, I'm not here to tell you Mason Smith didn't break the rules. It sounds like at that point in time that he did. But to suspend him for a game in an NIL world where NIL is running, you know, the show at this point in time, but he did it previously, he broke a rule previously, so we want to suspend him for a game? That was the best punishment we think we could levy for that guy? Makes no sense. Makes absolutely no sense. So now... It's, uh, it's coming to a head because before we got on the air here, Pete Thamel from ESPN tweeted out that the attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia have filed a federal lawsuit against the, against the NCAA that uh, essentially says the NCAA, or that, that uh, talks about the NIL as an antitrust violation for how they're approaching that whole uh, part of things legally. So we're going to have Pete Nakos on here in just a minute to talk about that. But essentially what I'm uh, deciphering that information as or that report as is Tennessee and Virginia saying, all right, let's play ball. You want to come after us? Tennessee saying you, you want to make this a big thing and talk about how we're breaking rules? First of all, no, that's not how this is going to go. Second of all, let's take it a step further. We're not just playing defense. We're playing offense. We're coming after y'all. We'll settle this thing out in front of everybody and we'll, and we'll make sure that the, uh, the record is set, is set straight here. And like I said just a, just a moment ago, uh, this will be impactful, I think, for the rest of college football going forward. I don't think this is just a one-off where we kind of course correct for a second. This is going to be like, for a long time here, we see some change after this kind of situation. So 
I'm, uh, I'm curious to see what happens here. Again, I do not think this is the end of it. I do think that we got something going on with uh, the future of NIL as it pertains to what's going to happen here. And I'm excited to watch. I'm excited to see what happens. I'm excited to see what happens. But like I said, I saw that tweet come out from Pete Thamel. And to, to recap it for us, the tweet reads, the attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia have filed a federal lawsuit against the NCAA that casts the NCAA's name, image, and likeness rules as antitrust violations. So I read that. I've watched suits, and I, and I kind of understood where that was. I can use Google, but I was like, listen, I know someone who's a lot more intelligent on these kind of things than yours truly. So we're fortunate to have him a part of the On3 network, and that is the man, the myth, the legend, Pete Nakos, joining the show right now to break this all down. Pete, one, appreciate you jumping out of the drop of a hat. Two, can you sort of put this in like layman's terms? Like, explain this to me like I'm five. What is going on here with Tennessee, Virginia, and the NCAA? Yeah, so a couple things to note right off the bat, right? So obviously everyone's eyes was on Tennessee yesterday with the NCAA investigation. This is clearly a lawsuit that did not just come together in the last 24 hours. This has been building over time. Um, and then in terms of the lawsuit itself, J.D., what what is really going on here is the state attorney generals from Tennessee and Virginia are, are challenging the NCAA. They filed the lawsuit for a temporary restraining order against the NCAA for the NCAA, um, uh, excuse me, uh, prospective student athletes, right? They cannot sign NIL deals with collectives at the moment. The NCAA uh, oversees that, and, and these two state attorney generals are challenging that and saying that it violates antitrust law. So what could be like the, the fallout from this? Let's just go ahead and say that Tennessee and Virginia walk in there, wipe the floor with the NCAA. Does this lead to like a ripple effect of more change on the NIL landscape? Or what, what, can, we, what can we see happening here, Pete? I mean, let's put it bluntly. If, the, if Tennessee and Virginia wins this, it means the NCAA can no longer oversee college sports and NIL enforcement. And all of a sudden we're having conversations about what is there amateurism anymore? Does the NCAA exist? Um, the NCAA is already being pressed in another court case about its transfer portal rule. So if they lose that and they lose this, all of a sudden uh, college sports is officially off to the races and the NCAA is out of the picture. Wow. So this, so this is kind of like this could be the straw that breaks the camel's back is what you're saying. Like this could be the thing that sets the NCAA apart from college sports. And would that be college sports as a whole? Would that be just college football? Or like how could that play out here going forward? Well, I mean, obviously it'd be all of college sports, but when we talk about the big NIL deals and the big transfer portal movement, we're talking about college football, college basketball, college baseball, women's basketball. Um, but, man, this has been building, right? Like the, NC the NIL started July 1, 2021, and for the last two and a half years and change, the NCAA has done everything it possibly can to avoid this exact kind of lawsuit. And now it is in this lawsuit, and we're going to find out what the NCAA can really push back on and, and have a court system views the NCAA. And the other thing to mention, and JD, let's get in the weeds real quick here, right? So we talk about antitrust laws. This is basically like the federal government overseeing monopolies and things of that sort. The NCAA has been hoping to get this antitrust exemption for years and they haven't. And, and now this is all going to be put to the test in the courts. And you were saying, too, like this wasn't something that just happened overnight because the way that I interpreted this was, hey, Dondi Plowman goes full Eminem on these guys. I mean, just drops bars in her statement, says, OK, y'all want to come after us. We're going to fight all this. And then this morning, Pete Thamel puts out this you know, tweet that says, OK, they are going to give him a lawsuit. 
but this was happening or it was on this course to happen regardless is what you were saying? Yeah, I mean, I, I read the lawsuit this morning, right? It came out in the Eastern District of Tennessee, like like Pete reported. Um, but I mean, like the, the temporary restraining order, there's multiple declarations in that, which is basically letters that have been submitted to the court from uh, athletic director Danny White, uh, Spire Sports co-founder James Clawson. There's an economist uh, with testimony in there. Like none of this came together overnight. This has been building. Tennessee knew the NCAA was going to investigate, and they opted to to run to the the war chest and go to war, I guess, with the NCAA. And a lot of us, I think, the like as soon as we saw that there was smoke between the NCAA and Tennessee, like the most high-profile NIL individual you would imagine is Nico Iamaliava by nature of all the rumors around him potentially being like the $8 million, $8 million recruit and all that. And then Spire Sports puts out a statement basically from what I could tell saying like, hey, listen, we did everything well above board. There's nothing shady going yep. on here. Like, don't don't look at us, basically. Is it fair to assume that like the whole Nico Iamaliava and, and the smoke around the NIL dollars he's collecting is a, a catalyst to this whole investigation and what, what's happening? Or how much of a role was the Nico Iamaliava NIL smoke to this whole investigation in your mind? Yeah, so they're tied together at the hip, right? So while I say the lawsuit has come together over time, they're coordinated. I mean, they have to do with each other. Um, and, and, and obviously what the uh, state attorney generals are challenging here is that the NCAA cannot um, prohibit recruits from coordinating with NIL collectives and signing deals before they arrive on campus, right? And that's exactly what Nico did here. And that's why that we're in the situation we're in now where the NCAA has sent its enforcement team into Knoxville um, and obviously looking into this. And while everyone has kind of circled around the contract, JD, the other thing that's interesting and worth mentioning that the New York Times reported on Tuesday was um, th this booster-funded uh, NIL collective, right, Spire Sports. Um, there's, there's the NCAA is looking into them possibly flying Nico from California to Knoxville on a private jet as a recruit. And I think that is maybe the center of the NCAA investigation more so than this contract that everyone loves to talk about. Pete, I, I see that and I, and I hear things like that. And my, my first thought is, and maybe I'm just naive to this whole thing, but like my first thought is, isn't everybody doing things of that nature? Like, like the, my thought yeah. is it's not Tennessee versus NCAA. It's like college football versus NCAA. Tennessee is just kind of the representative here. Uh, spot on. And there's been a lot of uh, fun tweets this morning um, that have really gotten to the point of maybe that the NCAA has uh, come on a little stronger than they maybe should have. And, and I mean, man, Tennessee is one of the top athletic departments in the country. Um, they're, they're so well-coordinated. This, uh, this lawsuit comes out this morning, J.D., and, like, you have the governor, like, vouching for it. Uh, you have, like, it, it's just so well-coordinated. And at the end of the day, I mean, I think the NCAA is definitely in a really tough spot right now. I was going to say, like, what cards do they, they even hold in this whole situation? Like, if I'm the NCAA, you're trying to refer to, like, old laws or old rules that were in place or, like, the ever-changing structure. Like, what, what can the NCAA do here, Pete? They're obviously going to fight back in the courtroom, but man, like they have like six court battles they're fighting right now. I mean, it's just like a quick rundown. If they lose any of these, like you could be looking at athletes being classified as employees. You could look at revenue sharing. You could look at unionization. And 
I mean, obviously, the NCAA has been hoping to go to Congress, right, to get this all fixed so they don't have to lose the courtroom battles. But Congress ain't moving, man. I mean, this is this is officially the tipping point of college sports. Golly. And we're living it. And you and I are alive for this whole thing, man. Where we love it, man. The NCAA went down. We love it, man. And and you're right on, J.D. I know you say college football versus the NCAA. You couldn't be more spot on. Uh, people have been pleading with the NCAA for years to actually like try to enforce NIL. And now they try to do it when everyone's been doing it for almost three years. I mean, people are pissed off. And uh, you're spot on that as college football versus the NCAA. Well, here we go. Here we go. I'm kind of rubbing my hands together here just waiting for some sort of resolution. Uh, how far off do you think we are from resolution? Is this something where it wages on for like four or five years? Or is this something where like before the end of – next college football season, we have some sort of ruling and some sort of um, definitive decision here? That's a great question, right? So uh, you have the House case right now, um, and that is obviously uh, – sorry, I, I had a phone call. Jumped in. You're great. You're uh, blowing up. Man. You're in high demand these days. No, no, no. I, I'm not that big. I apologize for that real quick. Um, can you repeat the question? Yeah, of course. I was just saying, like, what's the timeline here? Like, are we close to getting some sort of resolution on this? Or is it like, cool, we have something going with Tennessee and the NCAA and we'll figure it out in like four or five years? Right. Yeah. So this specific thing, I don't see being uh, resolved very quickly. Right. Like, let's say Tennessee and the Virginia State Attorney Generals win the first time around. Well, obviously, the NCAA is going to appeal. They're not going to just... Uh, basically like surrender right away and this is not the only court case to monitor right there's house versus the ncaa which would basically classify athletes as employees and if that happens before this is resolved i mean at this point then then the ncaa is really in a tough spot so yeah a lot of things are coming together right like think about it like this like maybe there's a bunch of storm cells across the country and they all come together to form a hurricane that's where we're at right now they're all kind of coming together Better get that umbrella, baby. It's about to rain. I mean, they call Harvey Specter, Lewis Lit, Mike Ross, for those that watch Suits. It's a wrap, right? Like, that's that's the NCAA's worst nightmare. It's all, it's all we need to get done there. I'm a Lewis Lit fan. There we go. There we go. Well, hey, uh, my philosophy when it comes to talking anything like legal or NIL or whatever it is on this show is the same as pickup basketball. Just, like, surround yourself with talent. So get Pete Nakos on the team and we're in good shape. That's the talent we need. Uh, appreciate you making time. You're getting phone calls. You're, you're, looking, working, you're reading lawsuits. You're saying you're re reading through lawsuits with everything going on with this. Uh, appreciate you making time, brother. Hopefully we'll do it again I, here real soon on, on a definitive ruling on this thing. You got it. You got it. Thanks so much, J.D. Again, Pete Nakos. Hey, follow him on Twitter. Follow Pete Nakos on Twitter. He will be the authoritative source for all things going forward here when it comes to NIL, when it comes to court rulings, when it comes to this whole thing with Tennessee and the NCAA and the lawsuits. Like, that's your guy, all right? He's not going to steer you astray. He's the one that you want to listen to um, for all things legal, for all things NIL, and also Transfer Portal. By the way, he also owns all the Transfer Portal coverage. So follow him on X or Twitter, whatever you're calling it these days. All right. Moving right along here, we got obviously a lot developing there with the NCAA in Tennessee. We will keep you as in the know as possible as that thing evolves, and it seems like it's evolving in real time. Um, but they are still going to play football games at some point in time, to my understanding. They are still going to play games. Um, with that being said, let's get to some of your unpopular takes here. I put out a tweet, and a lot of y'all that have followed the show for any period of time, you understand we, we do this now every other show, almost every show. 
the best part of this show is that we get to involve y'all into this as much as possible. And so put out a tweet and said, what is your unpopular college football take that you strongly believe in? Got a lot of those that I want to get to right now. But the first one, fittingly enough, is coming from Kenneth. And Kenneth says, college football is just fine. He says, and we will be fine. College uh, football you know, is a place where a lot of things change. He says, change happens. It's not a big deal. And I think what Kenneth is saying here actually has a lot of validity to it. And we have been, I mean, extremely vocal in what we disagree with with college sports and college football, how it's changing because NIL is kind of this genie that's now out of the bottle. We think NIL is great. Do we really want to exist in a place where guys that are worth millions of dollars are just getting their tuition paid for and their books paid for and their living paid for and that's it? When really they're worth multi-million dollars and they may not be worth that much in the future? Great, more power to them. I think that's fair that that happens. The transfer portal, there's pushback on that and how that's being operated. Yeah, we don't really want you know college football free agency necessarily to the degree that we have it right now, but when your coach leaves, there should be some opportunity for you to change as your situation changes. So we think that's a positive thing. Um, all that's to say, like what's happening now is a good thing in college sports, in college football. Um, like anything, Anytime there's change and there's new tools available, there's the potential for those tools to be abused. But at the same time, like I think what Kenneth is saying here about college football being fine is right on the money. Another thing that we've been pretty vocal against here, too, is the expansion of the college football playoff. We have gone to this thing kicking and screaming and being like, hey, we think four is good. We're all about the college football regular season meeting as much as possible. But now that we're here, the 12-team playoff era, it's like we still think the sport is fine. I mean, the intrigue around this sport has never been higher. TV ratings are up pretty much across the board. The problems we have right now, for the most part, are champagne problems. And so for those that would disagree, I would say, what matters to you in college football? What are the reasons that you love college football? I think for most of us, we would say we love the regular season. We love the fact that on a fall Saturday... You get together with your friends, with your family. Maybe you just want to be alone because you want to lock in on the game. But however you watch college football, whether you're at the game, whether you're at, on the couch, that's still going to happen. They're still going to, at some point in time, line it up and they're going to run through the power tee or they'll run it on the field in an arbor or they will run down the hill in Death Valley in Clemson, South Carolina. Like whatever, whatever you cherish about college football, I wholeheartedly believe the core of that is still intact. And so until they change the rules and we're playing flag football or we're playing some version of seven on seven, I think what we care about with this sport, the pageantry, the tradition, the rivalries, for the most part, all of that's still intact. And so when you show up to a game for a tailgate or whenever you walk into the stadium and they get ready to kick it off, when that's actually happening, we're not going to be thinking about how much the quarterback's making an NIL. We're not going to be thinking about, well, they actually transfer portal in this guy, that guy, and this guy. Like, when it's third and seven for the ball game, like, we're, we're locked in. At that point in time, the magic is still very much so within the sport. And so until something like that changes to where we're not playing on fall Saturdays or we're not having the same rules that make the sport what it is, I'm not talking about the clock changes. I'm not, I'm not talking about targeting i'm talking about like until they take the pads off of them and the kids are no longer a part of the school and we just totally warp the sport to where it's unrecognizable then we can have a problem with this then maybe there's something to talk about but from what i can gather nil is not changing that the transfer portal is not changing that conference realignment 
though there's some issues with that, that's not changing it. The 12-team playoff, that's not changing it. Our sport, like Kenneth is saying here, I think is still fine. So we're going to keep an eye on how this thing evolves, but I think for right now, Kenneth, that unpopular take, brother, I don't think that's, that's on this show at least, for us right here, that is not unpopular by any stretch of the imagination. So we appreciate Kenneth adding to the conversation. All right, let's keep a good thing going here. Uh, another unpopular take from one of y'all. Michelle, you say Nebraska will be relevant again. Love that. I absolutely love that take. Now, full transparency, uh, we are big stands of Matt Rule on this show. We believe in the way that he does things, so we've been pretty transparent about that. But you talk about being relevant. What, what is relevance exactly? I think we've got to define what that is. Is that national championships? I probably would put the bar a little bit lower than national championship when it comes to relevance. I think relevance is making a bowl game. And the good folks in Lincoln, Nebraska, they have not enjoyed a bowl game since 2016. That was the last time the Cornhuskers played in the bowl. So what I would say is there's, it, it's been a drought now, right? We all understand. It's, it's been some time since Nebraska's been able to enjoy that kind of uh, a season. But even with that being said, Nebraska being relevant, I think, is on the up and up. And as much as you've lost momentum and it feels like you may not regain it, you have a person in-house right now running your football program who has experience in rebuilding things. Look at Temple. Look at Baylor. Those situations, even though it may not feel like it by where you are right now, those situations were far worse off than Nebraska was this past season. Nebraska is close. And it feels like Nebraska's cursed. It feels like they're snake bitten because of how many one-score losses they've had over the last couple of years. And I get that. I, I, I hear you. I feel that. But is it more likely that Nebraska's cursed? Or is it more likely that you have a new head coach who is trying to get this team up to speed culturally and for their standards to win football games? I think it's probably the latter. I don't think Nebraska's actually cursed. And also, I would say, in terms of an arrow pointing up on a certain operation, from what I can gather about Nebraska, landing one of the top quarterbacks in the country in Dylan Raiola, that's an arrow pointing up. Bringing back your defensive coordinator who could have, just let's, let's be real, he probably could have gone and taken a head coaching job somewhere else if he had wanted to. I think he was ready for that. I think he had offers to do that. He decided to come back to Nebraska and be the D.C. That allowed 18 points a game last year. Arrow pointing up. You have a head coach who is familiar, like I said, with rebuilds. Now, I say rebuilds. He's not just turning around in one season. We see this with Matt Rule more often than not. The first year is what it is. The second year you get to relevancy, right around that seven-win mark is probably what you can expect. And the third year is when you really have to pop your compete for some exciting things. I'm not promising anything in that third year, but I am saying where you are year one, given Matt Rule's track record, is the jumping-off point. At Temple, his first year, they won like one or two games. At Baylor, I believe they only won one game. Now, his third year at Baylor, they competed for the Big 12 title. His second year there, they won a bowl game. So all that has to be said, you have someone who has a blueprint for the path forward. And I think by nature of how they're, they're attacking at the talent acquisition side of things, that would encourage me. That would really encourage me. Now, again, relevance is the key word here. We're not talking about winning Big Ten championships yet. We're not talking about winning national championships yet. That may very well be on the horizon for Nebraska. Far be it for me to predict the future and tell you what your ceiling is under Matt Rule. When we talk about relevance, who's to say it can't be next year? They went 5-7 and seven this year. And the way they finished the season with one score loss after one score loss, that's enough to make you feel cursed. But really, I think if you look at it glass half full, you're that close. And you're tired of people like me sitting behind a microphone and telling you how close you are. When you look at Matt Rule in his first year, this is not someone who's just continuing to run their head into a wall. 
You can say that about the Scott Frost era. You can say that, hey, it was going a certain direction. We weren't getting where we wanted to go. We were tired of the one-score losses. How, how long until we just say, okay, this is what it is? At, at Nebraska with Matt Rule right now, this was his first year. It was a jumping-off point. This is a guy who's not going to run his head into a wall. They're going to adapt. They're going to build. That's what he does. So Nebraska being relevant again, I think it's not unpopular in the slightest. And when we sit down and do our predictions for the preseason here, uh, I would have a very difficult time saying we're going to put Nebraska below 6-6. Six and six. Now, we have to look at the path forward first. have to look at the schedule. But uh, I, I wholeheartedly believe that Nebraska is going to be in that six-win range the second season for Nebraska. Now, a lot of that obviously starts and ends with Dylan Riola and his progress and Nebraska's ability to protect him. But again, the arrow, from what I can tell, is pointing up. And the arrow pointing up from a 5-7 and seven season, I believe, is a very, very good sign. Had a bunch of quarterbacks play for you last year. Not one of them had a better touchdown-to-interception ratio. All of them had more interceptions than touchdowns. The best, I believe, was Heinrich Harburg, and he had like seven touchdowns to seven picks. The bottom line is you get better quarterback play, and I say better in terms of just taking care of the football better kind of quarterback play. I think that changes your season. I think that changes your outlook. So Nebraska being relevant again, again, to put a bow on this, uh, we feel confident in saying that will happen here sooner rather than later. Now, the last one, the last unpopular take we got from y'all was that Ohio State will not win a national championship. Now, first things first, make sure you subscribe right here to the On3 YouTube channel. Had a lot of y'all been dialed in, and we appreciate you for that, especially the good folks in Buckeye country have had y'all subscribe to the show, so thank you for that. But when you talk about Ohio State and uh, what the future holds for them, the reason why this question or why this take might strike a chord is because this year, with the expanded playoff, with the way that you have retooled certain positions within your roster, getting Will Howard at quarterback, getting the top player in the transfer portal, and Caleb Downs to come play safety for you, returning a defense full of cats that were a part of a top 10 unit a season ago, winning got Quinshawn Judkins, Emeka Ebuka, he's back. Like, all of the pieces on this roster, paired with the fact that there is more opportunity with the expanded playoff, this is supposed to be the year in a lot of ways. Like, I don't think Ryan Day went and got Will Howard to go and you know, fall short of a Big Ten championship or just to win one game in the college football playoff. I don't think that's the approach. I don't think that's the expectation. The standard is what the standard is in Columbus. They don't, they don't shy away from that. You sign up for, for what Ohio State football is to win national titles and more specifically here to beat Michigan on the way to winning a national title. And that's the key thing I think we need to, to look at here because with more opportunity and more of a stacked roster, you know, what comes along with that here is more pressure. All right, just so we're all on the same page here. More opportunity it provides more pressure. And to go with that pressure, your rival school, the school that you 364 days a year, I mean, you hate. And that's what rivalries are. I mean, it's, it's a hate fest. And no, no hate is stronger than Ohio State versus Michigan hate. That team just won a national title. Okay, so that's the bad news. That's applying pressure to what you're doing in Columbus. On top of that, though, their head coach is gone. Their quarterback is gone. Their star running back is gone. There's a lot of pieces that are coming back to Ann Arbor, but at the same time, a lot of key pieces that aren't. Your DC is gone if you're if you're Michigan. So that adds more pressure because you're looking at this thing and you're seeing, okay, Michigan's lost some pieces. The road becomes wider when it comes to the expanded playoff. We've retooled our, our roster to be elite. Like this should be the year in a lot of ways. And to add more 
uh, or add another point onto that pressure side of things, like the expanded playoff now makes it so that to win a national championship, you don't have to beat Michigan. You could drop that last game of the regular season and then go on a run in the, in the college football playoff, win a national title. But I would say this, if you lose to Michigan and don't win a national title, I think things get uncomfortable. Now, full disclaimer, just so we're not misunderstanding each other here. We wholeheartedly believe on this show, Ryan Day is one of the best coaches in college football. We did a ranking last year before the season. Maybe we'll do that again at some point in time. Uh, we had Ryan Day as a top five coach in the sport. That was when Nick Saban was still around in college football. Um, I have a hard time putting him outside that top five as we sit here right now at the end of January. We think Ryan Day is a tremendous coach. And I would think they would be wildly irresponsible to part ways with him. That's how we feel. It's also, I think, not unreasonable to say how we feel may not be how they feel in Columbus. I don't know for a fact, but if you lose to Michigan for the fourth time in a row and don't win a national championship, I think things get very, very uncomfortable. Again, I'm not saying they fire him. I'm not saying they make a big staff change, but I, I, I do think there is a, a fair amount of of heat within that facility around Ryan Day and around that, that way of doing things for Ohio State because their standards are extremely high. So the take that they're not going to win a national championship, I don't think that's necessarily wildly uh, irresponsible because at the end of the day, there's 133 college football teams. Only one of them wins a national title. So, you know, the odds are what they are. But I think it's how they play this season against Michigan in their path to winning a national championship. Now, if you lose to Michigan and still win a national title, maybe the vibes are good and, and, you know, we kind of rethink our whole take on Ryan Day if we're the folks in Columbus. Again, we think he's one of the best coaches, period. But if you lose to Michigan and don't win a national title, then things get uncomfortable. Then things get kind of tricky. So more opportunity, I think, than ever before for Ohio State, not not just because of the roster, but because of the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams. You don't have to win the Big Ten. You don't have to be Michigan to get it done. But I do think with more opportunity comes more pressure. Now, no pressure, no diamonds, but just so we're on the same page there, uh, this is, for, for all, uh, all that we can gather, this is the year for Ohio State to swing the tide back their way. Michigan is losing some key pieces. They lose their head coach, for goodness sakes. This is the year for Ohio State to strike. I'm excited for it. I'm excited to watch how they attack it. I'm excited to watch... Uh, how they respond here with as as much pressure is on them, as big a chip on their shoulder I think they have with Ohio State um, falling short of their standards internally the last couple of years. This is the year that they strike back. So we're excited to watch it. We're excited to see what happens here when it comes to the, the 2024 season. Golly, I know, it's, I know it's January, but it feels like the season's right around the corner. Because, I mean, the, the Nick Saban retirement sort of propelled us into a, a ripple effect of the coaching carousel and the transfer portal continued to churn and now we got the NCAA in Tennessee going at each other's throats like this is this doesn't feel like the offseason <laughs> does not feel like this sport is taking a break so I don't know I, I don't think we're that I think we're going to look up at some point in time here in the near future and be like oh man week zero is like a month away spring balls around the corner too like vibes are high is what I'm saying vibes are high we got a lot to talk about when it comes to uh the college football world. About to get to your questions. Before we do that, though, two quick favors to ask. We ask it a lot, but it helps the show and it helps us do more of what you want to see. So one, can you like the video? Get us well over 100 likes. We would appreciate that tremendously. Two, if you could subscribe to the channel. And some of y'all are saying, why does this guy keep asking me to subscribe? 
first, it just helps us get a better gauge for who's watching the show. And we know who's watching the show. We can then craft our content according to what you would like to see. So it, it helps us obviously grow the platform, but really it helps us do more content that you will enjoy. So thank you in advance for getting that done. We, uh, we appreciate it tremendously. All right, let's get right to it now. Keeper of the queue, heavy lifter extraordinaire, bringing guests in and out, keeping the queue, producing the show live. The man, the myth, the legend, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, man? We, we've, had a, we've had a busy morning over here, huh? Yeah, uh, weird morning. Um, weird morning? With how the segments have lined up today with uh, having Pete on. It's always fun to see Pete talk about stuff like this, man. Dude, he's he so sure smart. He sure does know. He's so smart. He is, yeah. I immediately was like, I think I understand this antitrust deal, but I know someone who definitely understands it, so we're bringing on Pete, and we're going to talk ball. We're, we're, I guess not talk ball. We're going to talk law, you know? Yeah. That was exactly. cool. It was very cool. Absolutely. Well, a lot of other people talking ball today in the chat. Rocky Top Tom is one of them, says hashtag tell JD. Mm. This is a very unpopular take. I have not read this, so I'll see what he says. No more NIL, no more playoffs, no transfer portal without extreme circumstances, 10 bowl games, no opt-outs, name the Heisman winner after the title winner and after all of the bowls. Dude, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot to unpack there. Uh, no more NIL or playoffs. I don't know how you put the NIL genie back in the bottle. And I think NIL is a good thing. Like, I think Johnny Manziel not being paid for his name, image, and likeness, and we see where he is now having not played in the NFL, like, that was the prime of his career to benefit on what he was doing on the football field. Now, I understand if you watch the documentary, he did still benefit financially, but I'm talking about above board. Like, Johnny Manziel would have been well above the seven figures when it comes to his NIL value. So, I mean, that in itself feels like that would be hard to execute one and two. I just think NIL is a great thing. Uh, no playoffs. I'm okay with the BCS model, honestly, but I think a four-team playoff is great. And 12-team playoff, we've talked about how we're against it. Let's just walk into this thing with, with arms wide open and just see what happens and kind of enjoy what it is. And maybe, maybe it'll be a little bit better than some of us think. Uh, no transfer portal without extreme circumstances. I would question what an extreme circumstance is. Because when, when your coach leaves, I'm like, all right, hey, the reason why you came to the school, that guy's no longer there. You should be able to transfer. So if that's not extreme, I would have a question about that. No opt-outs. I'm for that. Name the Heisman and title winner after the Bulls. We need to have a, we need to have a national championship game. We got to have one. I think that's, that's probably the way we have to go about it. Uh, Heisman winner after the Bulls. I'm okay with that. I wouldn't hate that. I don't hate the way it is now, but I, I wouldn't be against that. I don't know. Lot, lot to, lot to unpack there. Rocky Top Tom, though, firing with the hashtag yep. tell JD. There you go. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you very much, Rocky Top Tom. Jared Stidham says after the fall of the empire, which is the NCAA, yeah, um, is government governance inevitable? Government governance. So, college football controlled by the government. I mean. I don't I mean, know the answer to that. We, we need more leadership in the sport. We need, yeah. we need a commissioner, period. Like every major sport has it. And typically I'm the guy who's like, whenever people throw out the, well, the NFL does it, well, the NBA, the, well, the, like I, I'm not big on like the every other sport does it, so college football should do it that way because I just think college football is unique to itself. And the fact that it's not like other sports is why you have so many people that love it the way that they do. 
But like, if we have a commissioner, we have more direction on this whole thing, right? Like we, we have more guidelines, we have more structures in place instead of just everybody making their own schedule and making their own way they do things. So I think we need more leadership. Mm-hmm. That's probably the next step. I don't know that we go to like government governance. That, that feels like, uh, that is like the very, very worst case scenario. They've got other stuff I think they're busy with. Right, you know, yeah, uh, I mean. Capitol Hill, so. You yeah. know, it'd be interesting if every single sport in college sports had its own leadership because it would. I think it'd help out the, the big sports like football, but wouldn't you think that also would help the smaller um, athletics in, in, college, in, in CAA? I think so. I think, it, I think it makes too much sense for it not to happen at some yeah, point. absolutely. You know? Um, OG Gary, when are you accepting contracts for the college football commissioner? When are we <laughs> accepting contracts? So it's your turn, J.D., yeah, I mean, hey, we would we would gladly step in and do it. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting thought. We'd be up for it. We'd be all about it. The fact that we call Pete Nakos to talk about antitrust laws, <laughs> we're happy. We're happy to be where we are. We're happy to enjoy the sport, talk about the sport, love the sport. Like, it's it's kind of like you say, Nick. Like when your when your passions become your job, it's a fine line to walk there. This is this is as great a job as we could have when it comes yeah. to being passionate about it. Like. If we gotta be the commissioner, we gotta yeah, we gotta I, bring down the hammer on people. We gotta be the bad guy. Like, yeah, I, I see where you're coming you know, from. There. I, don't, I don't know. That's about cool. That one. We we appreciate it, but like, we like where we enjoy this from. Now, could we do a good job? Absolutely. Don't don't get it twisted. We 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 could we could make some things shake now, but we like where we are from an enjoyment standpoint, and uh, we would happily hold a vote for the next commissioner. How about that? I've seen two people nominate Pat McAfee for commissioner in this chat. Dude, I'm, I'm, I'm not against that. I think he probably falls in the same, same vein, though. Like, I have, a, I have a whole rant on Pat McAfee in college game day because I, I don't know this to be true, but, like, little things that are said on his show makes me feel like he won't be on college game day for, like, an extended period of time by his own choice. There was that whole athletic article about people not enjoying him on game day, and I'm like... I don't get that. So, so seeing seeing uh, someone in the chat say Pat McAfee for commissioner, one, it would be anarchy. So more power to us, I suppose. Two, I, I never understood the like the discontentment that the college football world seems to have on on Pat McAfee. Dude loves everything he's a part of. Like he's authentically all in on college football, having just kind of joined the scene with College Game Day. And I'm I'm all about Pat McAfee being more with college football. I'm I'm fine with that. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Are you hey. a McAfee guy? Nick? Uh, no, I'm not, but um, it's just because I like the Rich Eisen show, and it's the same time. Oh, so. okay. That makes Conflict. sense. Conflict. I mean, he's a fellow special teamer, though. Yes, he is. He is. And I, I do love watching uh, his highlights, so that's... that's. It's hilarious he has highlights. Oh, I guess highlights, yeah, at the NFL level. Huh? Yeah. I thought yeah, you the media highlights. Yeah, no, no, it's like, NFL. He's got a few of those, yeah. too. Yeah, he, he does. Yeah, he, you can probably jumped, find some of those on YouTube. He jumped in uh, the Brazos River when yeah. he was on game day. Yeah, And the Brazos true. River, for those that don't know... It's like the river that that runs through Waco, Texas. They were they were doing game day. It must have been like late October or maybe early November. It was cold. He jumps like belly flop style into the river. It's like one of his highlights when he starts the show. And uh, I forget where we were. Oh, we were at like the Super Bowl media day, like Radio Row. He was walking around. I was with one of my friends, um, Jake Olson, who like I guess had been on a show, stopped him and like talked to him. Anyway, McAfee was like, dude, I did – nobody told me how shallow that was like that could have actually been a very bad thing he's like that could have maybe been it for me if nobody if if i didn't know the the depth i was jumping into and misjudged it could have been serious quick mcafee side note there yeah yeah yeah. you've never done that though in your time in waco right 
Not yet, no. Okay. But you never know. We make a return trip. That's true. That's it looked look too cold, man, if we're going to be honest. It looked way too cold. Everyone in this chat needs to follow Intellis Lead. Says 326 viewers and only 71 likes. Come on, we're better than that. There we go. We're better than that. We're up to 74 now. There we go. We need 100. Um, JD, another, a couple of interesting questions here. Um, Tony Swanson says, SJD, will you ever go back on the Talking Vols network? Ooh, I like talking about. I think that's Boogie Bentley running the show over there, man. That's a, he's he's awesome at what he does. We actually were trying to get on his show during their stream for charity, ended up not happening just by nature of the schedules conflicting. Um, but yeah, absolutely, we'll make that happen here in the near future. Boogie does an awesome job, and they do they do an awesome job over there on that platform. So yeah, without question, without cool. question. Um, Rohan says, uh, JD, how, how does Ohio State improve? Is it wide receiver and tight end? Is it blocking in the run game? What do you think? I think just having an upgrade at quarterback is going to change the game for them. Like, let's just be real. If C.J. Stroud came back for another year, Ohio State, I think, would have at least made the college football playoff because I don't think they get stopped that last drive. I don't think C.J. Stroud throws a pick like Kyle McCord did on that last drive. And that's not throwing shade at Kyle McCord. I think that's just kind of a, you know, no-duh statement is that, you know, if they have better quarterback play, that last drive might end differently. So Will Howard is going to be, is going to be fun to watch out there. Offense will be more dynamic, I think, with his legs. Um, he's got a ton of experience, which could be a, a big factor in those high-pressure situations. So I'm excited for that. I think quarterback is really the, the key variable I'm watching. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun, man. Defense is going to be nasty again. It was last year. It'll be nasty again. I really like this question, J.D. Um, Austin says, where do you see the future of intercollegiate athletes? I'm specifically curious about the non-big two to four conferences, the other sports, and the military academies. Interesting. When he says future of the, of the athletes. Of, of intercollegiate athletes, like I, I think mostly like what do you say about a football player who plays for Army or a college soccer player, volleyball player? Um, what, what's the future look like for them? Um, I think in, contr in contrast from like the big sure. college football power five players. Sure. I mean, honestly, it's, it's funny to say because you have all this noise going on at the top of the college football, college sports landscape with NIL and the transfer portal and, you know, all these things that are sort of like hot talking points for those schools. Um, I think the transfer portal might have some trickle down effect with like whatever regulation they put on, on that apparatus in college sports. That'll probably impact that level. But like, when it comes to NIL, I can speak for the guys that I, that I played with that I ended up, you know, I think I left college before NIL became a reality. Like at those schools, it really is like, hey, create value for yourself. Like there's probably not this enormous pool of dollars from donors are looking to put forward for the football program to try and make sure that they can get the top guys. It's like, listen, dude, like. All of us are here because we love college football. We want to keep playing. We have a chance to get an education. It's a vehicle for us. Like a lot of us are not going to the NFL. So we're here not because of the money. And so when that's the case, it's like, okay, so with NIL being an opportunity now, if it's not being handed to you from like a base salary level, go reach out to other brands, go reach out to other companies, like put yourself out there in the sense like, you know, go, go apply for the equivalent of what, it, what a job would be for, for those kind of guys. So I think that's kind of going to be the status quo is NIL is available. If you go and make it happen for yourself, more power to you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple more questions to get to. Uh, this question's coming. I got to find it again. There it is from Sportify Unlimited. Does 
one or do one of the true freshman quarterbacks, Julian Sand or Aaron Nolan, replace Will Howard at some point in the year? Or can Will Howard really lead Ohio State to a national title? Kind of goes with what you're saying, JD. Mm-hmm. But is there any likelihood for you that any of these two freshman quarterbacks take over, or anyone else they've got in their step in their quarterback room? Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot through spring practice. When you tune in Letterman Road, you get that spring practice report about how the scrimmage go, who was taking reps with who. Because I do think it's Will Howard's job until for some wildly unforeseen reason it's not. Um, my question would be, not so much is it Julian Sand or Aaron Nolan taking that job. My question would be, okay, let's say, let's say Will Howard starts to struggle. Is it Devin Brown? That'd be my first guess. Is it Lincoln Keenholds? Because both those individuals are older, have been in the system. Um, and I say the system in terms of being at Ohio State. We'll see what this new offensive system looks like for Bill O'Brien. Like, I would think they probably have first dibs. But again, spring practice should tell us a lot with how Julian Sayan's coming along, with how Aaron Nolan's coming along. Um, it's, it's tough to be a true freshman, especially when you early enroll. Like, everything is happening for you so fast. You're trying to get you know, up to be with the playbook. You're trying to figure out where your classes are. You're trying to figure out college life as an athlete. You're on your own for the first time. So I think that's going to be curious to see where they are in the depth chart, not just in relation to Will Howard, but where they are in relation to a Lincoln Keenholz and a Devin Brown, guys that are older than them and have done college for a little bit now. Okay. Uh, JD, one, a couple more questions. This Let's one's from The Truth, who right now I'd say takes the cake as the, probably the best debater in our live chat at the moment. So... Okay. That's off. Bringing the juice. Uh, the truth says, if you had to put an all-stars college football coaching staff together from this year's roster, what would be your coaching staff, JD? I, and I don't know if this means like best defensive coordinator has to be the DC or it could be a head coach who's got a defensive background. Yeah, but that's a great Inherit oh, gosh, it or tough. interpret it as you'd like. I'm going to say head coach. I think we got to put Jim Harbaugh as the head coach, right? Like, they just won the national title. So we're going to go ahead and say Jim Harbaugh. If we couldn't say Jim Harbaugh, I'd probably say Kirby Smart. Now we'll get pushed back on that saying, well, Nick Saban should have been your guy. If we can't put Jim Harbaugh as our guy because he's gone to the NFL, I think we can't put Nick Saban because he's retired. So uh, I'll say Jim Harbaugh. And then I'll say for our offensive coordinator, I'm going to go Ryan Grubb, coordinator at Washington. They put up wild numbers this year. Close second would have been Mike Denbrock. Um, and then when it comes to defensive coordinator, golly, our DC, I would say Jesse Minner. So I got two individuals from the Michigan staff. Jesse Minner did an awesome job this year with how he dialed up that defense. Uh, Jim Knowles close second. A lot of shade about Ohio State. Jim Knowles and what, what they did um, defensively this year, a top 10 unit in the country, top five in some respects. I would, I would put him there. So. Well, I, I like that. I like that setup, man. I feel yeah. good about Ryan Grubb calling the offense and Jesse Minner on the defensive side. Oof. We're some, I mean, that's, that's a national title matchup we have with Ryan Grubb versus Jesse Minner. So that's, that's the staff I put together, Nick. How about that? You feel good about that? I feel great. I feel awesome. great. Good stuff, man. Well, anything else? Anything else before we get out of here? One more question. We're going to talk about some USC Trojans before we head there we out. go. That? Talk about the defensive hires and how you think it'll make a difference for Lincoln Riley here this year. I like the defensive hires. We, we've taken some heat here on the Twitter side of things, on the YouTube side of things, saying, oh, y'all had a lot to say last year about how good the offense was going to be if they could just fix the defense, and then you make some hires on the defensive side of the ball, and nobody wants to talk about USC. Well, the reason why people are getting a little bit, uh, a little bit more cautious about talking about USC is twofold. One, 
you had the Heisman Trophy winner as your quarterback last year. The offense was still elite last year, and you weren't able to accomplish what you expect to accomplish. Other part of that is I was really excited, not about the, the coaching staff last year as much as I was the, the personnel, and the personnel is actually what's executing on the field. Like There were parts last year for USC defensively, parts of the year I should say, where I didn't feel like it was a scheme issue. Like there were things where you had guys in man-to-man just straight up getting beat. You had teams able to run the football on them that, you know, it wasn't like super tricky. They're just running inside zone. They're just running power and getting downhill against that defensive line, who I thought was a lot better from a season ago uh, personnel-wise. So now you bring in a new defensive staff with uh, Dan Lynn from UCLA, with Eric Henderson, who is, it looks like, going to be a co-DC over there in Los Angeles, comes from the NFL level. I think if they can fix the philosophy with how they do things defensively, that's going to be massive. I really go back to this. I think it's a a philosophical issue at USC. And what I mean by that is, um, as I've said before here, I think it's a lot about getting the, I want to be careful how I say this. From what I understand, there is Los Angeles, not from what I understand, there there is a, a vibe within USC to where there were parts of the team last year that weren't as dialed in to the USC football side of things as they needed to be to win games. Now, that's what I heard. If that's untrue, I'd be surprised, but I'm not here to tell you I saw it firsthand. But okay. I just think fixing that and having the unified vision and having the, the total buy you need to have to win double-digit football games, to win your conference, which will be the Big Ten this year and compete for the college football playoff as well as the national championship, um, that has to be, I think, reevaluated. So is that a fix with the coaching staff? I, I hope so. I believe it can be, but I'm, I'm just I'm hesitant. I'm in wait-and-see mode about USC defensively. That's how we feel about it, Nick. J.D., we have a super chat from Brooks Bond to close out the show, and then I actually have a Brooks Bond question. Uh, oh, okay, great. Yes, previously. He says, first of all, hot take, Ryan Day is a mediocre, if not on the low-end coach who hides behind Oh, talent man. and the Buckeyes name brings in so you can talk about that but then I do want to end with Brooks Bond's really awesome question who's gonna be the cover on the cover in your opinion who should be on the cover for the NCAA football game Ooh, I like that up? I like that we'll start with the hot take <laughs> Brooks Bond we extremely extremely appreciate the super chat with that being said we vehemently disagree with the, with the take that Ryan Day is overrated as a head coach or on the low end as a head coach. Saying he hides behind talent, who do you think brought that talent to Columbus? And part of being a college football head coach and being an effective college football head coach is recruiting. So just because they haven't beat Michigan and because they had a poor showing in that bowl game without their starting quarterback or their best player on their team, Marvin Harrison Jr., and couldn't beat Mizzou, like, I, I don't agree with that. But we appreciate the super chat, but we just we disagree on the uh, on the take that he's just hiding behind the, the Ohio State brand. I think if if he weren't a good head coach, they would not be winning double digit games every single year. So that's the first part of that. Now, to answer your question, who's going to be on the cover of the NCAA football game? I, I, this might be something we put out on Twitter and ask the uh, the entirety of our uh, of our audience to get a good gauge for. If I had to pick today, I think it's tough to go against Caleb Williams like. His Heisman season two years ago, um, one, of the, one of the faces of the sport really since he took over the starting job at Oklahoma before transferring to USC, he would be our, our vote probably. Uh, close second, Jaden Daniels, and his Heisman season last year would also probably put him in contention. But 
regardless, like put whoever you want on the cover, put, put anybody on the cover and we will buy that game as soon as it drops. So will they, will they be in the game? You think since they are not going to be uh, playing this year? I don't year? think so. Maybe that's the thought. Maybe you put somebody who's in the game on the cover because you can do that now with NIL. Yeah. Or you would expect to be able to do that at least. I'm putting TJ Finley on the cover. TJ Finley. WKU. <laughs> WKU starting quarterback. I mean, they should sell them like in different regions like with their star players. That'd be really cool. Kind of like the magazine covers that yeah. I think certain companies do. That'd yeah. be cool. That'd be cool. I'd, I'd be a fan of that. I'd be a, I'd be a big fan. I would also be a fan of uh, Lane Kiffin on the cover. That would be cool. That'd yeah. Be dope. That'd, That'd be, be dope. Cool. Regardless, though, we will keep an eye on this uh, as soon as we get more info mm-hmm. on the game. Hey, Nick, appreciate you, brother. I'll see you tomorrow. Same time tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on the On3 YouTube channel. Hey, who knows? At that point in time, maybe some more things have broke loose in the college football world when it comes to the legal side of things. And if that is the case, we will, of course, bring on our expert on all things NIL, all things transfer portal, all things legal, really, which is Pete Nakos for us here at On3. Again, throw him a follow and he will uh, make sure you're in the know for all things college football, transfer portal, NIL, and legal. Hey, appreciate y'all being dialed in. Like the video on the way out. Subscribe to the channel. We are back on the air tomorrow morning, 11 a.m. Eastern, right here on this platform, the On3 YouTube channel. This is the hard count. We don't stop talking ball all year long, whether they're playing games or whether we got lawsuits on our hands. We are talking about this sport that you and I both know and love. For Nick Break, I'm J.D. Pacquiao. We appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older in present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona, 
1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York.